Welcome to the Plant-Based Canada podcast. Join us as we talk to experts to explore plant-based practices and how our food choices impact our health and the environment. We sit down with doctors, dietitians, athletes in various fields to break down the evidence behind a whole foods plant-based diet and discuss the practical steps we can take in the effort to shift towards a healthier lifestyle. My name is Stephanie Nishi, and today I'm joined by Ben Hegarty to chat about plant-based entrepreneurship. Benjamin Hegarty is a vegan essayist and travel writer for the website It's Brian Ben, which he co-founded with his wife, Brian Nimroff. Ben's vegan journey began in 2015, and from 2017 through 2019, he and Brianne embarked on a transcontinental road trip in which they visited and wrote about vegan businesses in more than 60 destinations throughout Canada and the United States. In 2020, he and Brianne relocated to Vancouver, British Columbia, where he began his thesis project, which explores how vegan entrepreneurs in Kitsilano and Mount Pleasant operationalize and experience the vegan philosophy. The findings of his project may be found in his academic blog series called Ben's Vegan Vancouver. And this year, he earned his master's degree in natural resources and environmental studies from the University of Northern British Columbia. Ben currently works with organizations like the Canadians for Responsible Food Policy, EarthSafe Canada, and the Plant-Based Cities Movement to bolster vegan businesses to municipal governments. And for leisure, he still enjoys adventurous road trips with Brienne and learning new coffee-making techniques. Ben, thank you so much for joining the Plant-Based Canada podcast today. It's such a pleasure to have you on this episode. Thank you, Steph. It's a pleasure for me, too. I've been a fan of the podcast for a long time, so it's a true privilege. And I also just want to say it's also a privilege for me to be here, to be talking to you from the ancestral homeland of the Coast Salish peoples as well. Thank you very much for sharing that and for acknowledging that. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So before we get into all things vegan entrepreneurship, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and what initially got you interested in veganism. Sure, yeah. Um, I'll kind of start from the beginning of my vegan journey here. So I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area uh, through the 90s. And uh, during that time, you know, everyone thinks California is a haven for veganism. And there are a lot of great trends there. But growing up, veganism and vegetarianism was seen as a counterculture enclave in my community. I was in, I grew up in the suburbs of San Francisco. So a lot of people who were affluent and um, things were very good there. So I think environmentalism was definitely known, but it wasn't thought about food systems and especially when it comes to animal rights. Um, so growing up, I did eat meat, but I always preferred veggies and uh, black bean burgers. And, you know, I was always that weird kid who wanted those things. <laughs> I'd order those at restaurants, even at gourmet restaurants. And it was just because of the taste. So I just always liked that. And then as I just got older, um, I just became more aware of food systems and uh, what goes into the industrial food process and what all that entails. Uh, I remember um, it wasn't, it, it didn't elicit any particular movement in me, but I remember the uh, documentary King Corn, which came out in like 06 or 07 when I was in college. And that was, um, 
that did at least inspire me to start thinking about the systems more and like what was actually in in it and how it was processed, uh, particularly when it came to sugars. That documentary is about how high fructose corn syrup is very present in pretty much everything, even our hair. So um, that really just got me galvanized to think more about what was in what I was eating. So. And then uh, just some years went by, I graduated undergrad at University of the Pacific in uh, Stockton, California, and uh, I studied international relations there, which was mostly about not just food systems, but also just a more eclectic way of looking at the world. And um, when I got back, I was still kind of thinking about vegetarianism, and I was thinking, oh, maybe that might be just too difficult for me to do. but. It was actually by happenstance in 2015, my wife, Brian Nimroff and I, uh, she goes by Brie, she and I were living in Los Angeles and we just went one week uh, by accident of not eating any meat. And we realized that at the end of that week, we were actually feeling a little more alert and we were feeling uh, just, we had some more energy. And so we just kind of had a moment where we looked at each other and just thought to ourselves, hey, I feel pretty good. Do you feel pretty good? Yeah, I feel pretty good too. And so we thought, okay, let's give this vegetarianism thing a try and veganism sounds pretty good. So like, but let's do this incrementally. So for the rest of that year, going into 2016, we uh, gradually weeded out animal products from our diet and our lives. So we first gave up red meat and then we gave up chicken and then we gave up fish and just was gradual from there until eventually our bodies just didn't crave those things anymore. And um, I was, I never wanted to go into it just thinking like, oh, cold turkey had to be perfect because I had seen so many people go into that thinking that they had to be perfect right away. And for anyone who's going on that journey, it's, it's incremental. It's about not just changing your food system, but also just your perception of things. And depending on where you are in the world, it can be tough. I mean, there are some people who live in food deserts in which it's extremely more difficult to find fresh vegetables just because the food systems are designed to take all those all that good pros away from your area. So I would always advise anyone going into that and wanting to explore veganism and vegetarianism to just be kind to yourself and just stay curious and just keep giving yourself affirmations that this is actually a fun journey that isn't denying you anything, but that is actually quite good. The messaging that you give it seems to really align with what you say on your website, which we'll get into and I'll also share in the show notes later, but about being kind, kind to yourself, and it's just an overall kind message that comes across, at least in my perspective. Yeah, definitely. I've always looked at veganism as like a holistic, a utilitarian philosophy, and that really came through through my research that I'm about to talk about. Um, it From the get-go, it never seemed to be just about eating, but it just seemed to be about how we treat humans, non-humans, our environment, and even the the markets that are around us, you know, it's just going into it with a kind intention and that, and just with empathy. And I've always just clung to that as much as possible. And that really shone through, like I said before, in the, in my research here. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into more of your research a little bit later on, but you ended off a little bit in 2016. And I understand that in 2017, you and your wife, Bree, you packed up your things and traveled across North America to learn and experience and more about how to engage with veganism and also about how it's practiced in different regions and cultural environments throughout both Canada and the United States. And I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about this experience 
And perhaps if you have one or two key takeaways that you had from that. I'd be delighted. Let's see. So yes, um, that story, as fanciful as it sounds, really did happen. So come 2016, uh, Bree and I, we got engaged. And then in 2017, uh, we were thinking of, you know, what to do for our honeymoon and stuff like that. And we were in LA and then we happened to come across a calculation uh, just as we we're planning for it. We realized that one, we'd wanted to do a transcontinental trip, Canada and the US, uh, was still vastly unexplored to us and unknown, and we wanted to see so much. Two, as we we're planning for our honeymoon, we were thinking, and we realized that the cost of traveling on the road for a few months was actually less expensive than keeping an apartment in Los Angeles at the time. So uh, we decided, you know what, if we put all our things in storage for like uh, even six months and we're on the road, staying at Airbnbs uh, while also getting from point A to point B, point C, et cetera, in our Toyota Prius, you know, we're saving a lot of money by doing that. So it was kind of the pre-van life or Prius life, as I <laughs> like to call it, that uh, that was to come later on. But um, yeah, so we, we put everything in storage and in the spring of 2017, we set up. Uh, across the continent. We first went from Los Angeles up to Vancouver with stops along the way. And then over the course of six months, went from Vancouver all the way to Halifax, dipped uh, back down into the States and then uh, continued across the US and uh, just basically did one big circle until we reached uh, California again. And then, um, so I should note too, we weren't just uh, you know, traveling for the hell of it. It was, also um, for a little bit of work as well. I was working remotely full-time for a travel agency. Uh, didn't have anything necessarily to do with veganism, but I was always trying to put, like encourage uh, people to think sustainably when they're traveling. And my wife was writing for a vegan publication uh, at the time that was based in LA. And the, uh, the article or the column that she was regularly doing for them was to feature vegan businesses and interviews um, and to create like a rough travel guides for anyone who wanted to visit these major cities. And as we were doing so, like as she was going in there and doing her research, I would accompany her too and help out with lighting and camera work if she needed it. Um, but as we were doing so, we were just chatting with entrepreneurs um, who were running these vegan businesses. I was enticed by the stories that they had and they were really, and before long, I was noticing a lot of themes that were emerging in what they were telling me. The first thing I noticed was that all of them were very aware of what's called stewardship or just a sense of environmental responsibility. They very much, uh, in general, generally speaking, they very much liked to keep stewardship in their mission statements or at least in the forefront of their minds as they were thinking about their business and how it affected not just the community and others. They were always thinking about how things were sourced, like every single detail was just methodically thought of. And I just thought, huh, like other businesses do think of these things, but this is a, at such a depth and such a character-driven responsibility in their arts that I, that I thought this, this is very fascinating. I don't see this anywhere, anywhere else. So in the back of my mind, I was thinking, like this would make a great like study or, or, or article. And I 
was still always looking up academic articles on my own, even after graduating from undergrad and um, was very, you know, was kind of dabbling in that at the time. And I, so I looked up more evidence on this and I realized that there was nothing really there. Um, and so there's no literature on vegan entrepreneurs or vegan business. And there was definitely a lot of that lacking in the literature. And, but at the time I was thinking, oh, maybe I'll get to this later. I'll kind of research it. And, you know, when the time's right, this is that. And the time really wasn't right just then to do that because uh, we were then in the, in the following year in 2018 and going into 2019, we were starting to get ready to create our website called It's Brie and Ben. We which was taking, um, uh, taking what we had learned from our travels uh, in those previous years and turning them into travel guides. And you can look up uh, what we've written so far on there. Now it's uh, itsbreeandben.com. And uh, there um, we write about destinations and we create travel guides for destinations where uh, people don't often think about veganism. Like for example, um, Kansas City, we have an article there or even Austin, Texas. They actually have wonderful vegan options and have thriving vegan communities within them. But you know, many people think if they have to be vegan, they have to go to uh, San Francisco or New York or um, Toronto or Vancouver, you know, just basically stay to the coasts and the major cities. We wanted to showcase that the, the philosophy is everywhere and you don't have to sacrifice um, your lifestyle if you're a vegan, if you want to go to any of these places, that there are options there for you. And I also, um, I do a lot of the essays talking about that and philosophy on the website and Brie uh, writes uh, a lot of the guides and does marvelous work with the photography and the aesthetics there too. So it's kind of a, it's a very much a team effort in playing to our strengths. And um, yeah, to kind of cap that off and bringing us to the research project, uh, it we were doing our work and into 2019 and still writing articles. And then uh, COVID hit in 2020. That had to put halt to all of our, uh, all our travels. And at that time, I was kind of just thinking, you know, I was, I was thinking one, I'm a travel agent. Now I don't have anything, any work at the moment. And two, I still have this idea for an article. And I was at the time thinking it could be a, you know, it'd be great to talk about vegan entrepreneurship, but if I were to go and talk about this in say grad school, I don't know how well it was received, but I just thought, you know, no time like the present and uh, Brie was in full support of it as well. And so we, um, towards the end of 2020, we relocated to Vancouver very carefully because of, you know, the lockdowns were still in effect. And um, I started my graduate research looking into vegan entrepreneurship in Vancouver in like that year and going into 2021 and uh, just wrapped it up uh, earlier this year in January of 2023. Congratulations. Thank you. I know a long, <laughs> long multi-year road to get to that point, but very thrilled to be there. It sounds like you've had a lot of adventures on the way, come up with a lot of questions on the way, and the creation of your website as well, which, as I mentioned, will link itsbrienben.com in the show notes. I've had a chance to go through it, and there's definitely a lot of articles and resources on there as well. So if Thank anybody's you. listening and thinking about travel or just learning more about vegan entrepreneurship or different businesses in North America, check it out. Yeah, thanks. And I like to say too, it's not just on veganism specifically, not like not just on eating, but it's also just on, like I mentioned before, the philosophy that veganism, mm -hmm. for example, 
being kind to yourself while traveling. There's an article about how to travel as an introvert or you know, as an extrovert there. Depending on your energy level, how do you accommodate that? So we try to make it available to anyone who's just willing to practice empathy to themselves and to the destinations where they're going to visit. Nice. So going back to your grad studies, I want to dive into this a little bit more and learn more about your experiences there and also what you learned from your work during your grad studies. So you mentioned that uh, you explored some key questions, one of them being um, around how vegan entrepreneurs, how they operationalize their vegan philosophy in their mission and business practices, and then also, I'm curious to know about the entrepreneur's experience as they do so. So if we can dive into that a little bit. So to start things off, when you were doing your work, can you tell us, one, how you went about it, and then two, what you found in regards to what motivates and inspires vegan entrepreneurship and how vegan businesses operate? Sure, I'd be delighted. So to get into that and answer that, I'd have to kind of go back to the beginning of the design study. So. I would like to say that um, in the beginning, I was actually a little reticent to even mention the word vegan in an academic setting because I hadn't seen it in the literature. And so when I was proposing it to my advisors, um, first time I was kind of going, it's about sustainability. And I can tell that they were thinking like, no, there's another word you got in there. Like, just tell us, it's okay. And it could, you could tell us what's on your mind. I was like, okay, fine. And so I had like a big moment where I was like, I'm thinking about like researching. It actually focus on vegan entrepreneurship and then they were like that's great that's great you know there's not really much there about it this is a good opportunity to to fill in that void so to speak and to, to find to do further research on a phenomenon that no one's really looked into before and i was thrilled i was really happy to have that support and i would say to any of your listeners who are hearing this and thinking about grad school or they have like a question or a project in mind in either academics or at work where they're not sure how it'll be received, I'd say, don't be af don't be afraid in being uh, on the frontier, and but also look for ways to feel safe at the same time. I had uh, advisors who were very supportive of the subject I wanted to look into, so that's always a great first step in looking for that support, and then uh, going into the pragmatic uh, workings of your project or your, your thesis. So yeah. Um, so once that scary part was out of the way, <laughs> um, it came down to the design of it. I I wanted this project from the get-go to be accessible and practical as much as like my blogs were on my website. So it, it for those who don't know, in grad school when you do a thesis or even a thesis project like this is, you generally write up, you know, you do your research, you write like 150 word, uh, page uh, paper and then you defend it to a committee who's appointed to you to make sure that um, everything looks great and that you did the research and you're ethical about it all that stuff and then uh, then i realized after that process it's pretty much just archived in the library and i thought to myself well it's not gonna help anyone if it's archived i mean people can research it if they're looking for it on uh, you know google scholar but i i want this to i wanted this project to benefit the people i was uh, talking to. I wanted it to benefit the vegan entrepreneurs. I also wanted it to be a way to introduce the concept of vegan business and vegan entre entrepreneurship to to my audience and those who hadn't even considered it. So I then decided to pitch the format of it 
as a, a blog, as an academic blog series. And what that is, is essentially taking the format of a blog. So written from my perspective, uh, single author, uh, images, text, etc., and showcasing what it was like in real time as I visited these places. But it also includes uh, academic sources. So in order, in order to keep it um, for university level, I just included like citations from scholarly journals and peer reviewed things, and also other multimedia sources as well. So that said, I set off to work. I, I looked into the history and did thorough research on um, the history of counterculture in Vancouver and BC. And I also looked into the history of veganism and vegetarianism uh, as much as I could. And I chose uh, Vancouver for this study as well, uh, not because I was there necessarily, but because um, Vancouver had the most, at the time, in 2020 anyway, uh, had the most uh, vegan businesses or VBs as they call them um, in the country. Now I know there's a lot of contention between <laughs> Toronto and uh, Vancouver for that title. So I know uh, one year it might be Toronto, sometimes it might be Vancouver, but Vancouver was um, was the was top at that point in my research. So I went with that. And in particular, I I found that the neighborhoods of Mount Pleasant and Kitsilano offered uh, the or were home to the most VBs at the time. So I uh, refined my research to look at those two neighborhoods. And the idea was to very much do what we did for the blog was to take the same model, look up to see who's there. So which businesses are there. And um, as I was doing so, just make reach out to them and each one saying like, hey, here's an academic study. Here's the consent form and everything that would be entailed. And if they said yes, I would go in and visit the, the business in their spaces. Or if some were remote, I would uh, just have a Zoom call and uh, talk to them about the major themes that they would be experiencing. Um, it was actually like very, you know, people think like, oh, you must have like sat down and had a formal interview. But like, no, it was actually just me going in and just talking to the manager or the, um, the owner of the business and just getting to know what life was like working there in the business. And if there was any point or any topic that they didn't want to talk about, we didn't, I didn't have to push it. I could just be like, okay, you want, what's like, what, what were like some vegan businesses that used to be here? Like, oh, if they didn't want to talk about that, I'd be like, okay, yeah, no problem. Like we can move on to the next thing. And um, similar to our travels before in 2017, I started to glean out uh, common themes that all of them were talking about. And so in the end, I ended up talking to 12 vegan businesses and their, their owners, and uh, they had several, quite a few themes uh, that, or I should say insights rather, that they uh, were able to share with me. And um, it's actually, it was quite interesting in the end. Should I go over them now or, or did you have any questions about that process? I do have questions. So if we can hold off, make this a little bit of a teaser sure. for later on. And you got we'll... stay tuned, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But first off, I think it's really cool that you are able to do your grad studies as more of this blog series and really translate what you were finding to make it accessible and applicable to individuals within the community and across various communities as well. So in my yeah. opinion, that's, I think, really innovative for a science type thesis project Thank and you. really cool to see. Thank you. I, if I may say, not to mm -hmm. interrupt, 
Um, but I just want to give um, just a shout out to University of Northern British Columbia, which is where, I, um, which is the institution through which I did my research. Um, I didn't mention them before, but they're very open-minded to that kind of structure and looking for new ideas. So I just wanted to make sure that they were known and that they get that credit. So thanks. Great. So before we get into more detailed questions, I want to take a step back. In your opinion, since we're talking about vegan entrepreneurship, I was wondering, how do you define that? So what makes vegan entrepreneurship vegan entrepreneurship and what also makes it vegan? Thanks. Uh, the answers to both of that are, are I, I define it in my project as a business that has that includes um, elements of the vegan philosophy in its mission statement and uh, more practically speaking a business that has eliminated all uh, animal products and animal byproducts so like animal not just the products that animals create but also their labor from all of their products and services so what this would mean is that there's obviously no dairy or meat or any um, any animal labor that went into the creation of whatever they're offering to clients. And when I say mission statement, um, that was a, actually a whole blog devoted to that one, which is like, what is a mission statement and what how does that make a business vegan? It's not that they have to have the word vegan in the title, but it's that a business would have to think more about the, the trappings of, of vegan philosophy or the, the pillars of vegan philosophy in their statement. So this can look like um, having inclusivity to all genders and all abledness in their statement, or at least something akin to that. Uh, that would also include, of course, omitting animal product and byproduct from there. Um, talking about uh, employing those of different socioeconomic backgrounds and different ethnicities, so being diverse as possible, not just in lower, lower management, but also higher up or even in the upper management levels as well. And um, yeah, it, it kind of goes back to the utilitarian philosophy that I mentioned before, uh, how I looked at veganism, which is that it's meant to be as empathetic as possible, to do the least amount of harm, but uh, also help out the entrepreneur as much as possible. Thank you for defining that for us. Now let's jump into a little bit more of the details of your actually your actual research and what you found. And in particular, you mentioned that you narrowed down your search to VBs or vegan businesses to Vancouver, specifically the Kitsilano and Mount Pleasant areas. Um, I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about why those areas you mentioned that because they had a number of vbs in the area but why is that why did this area have this concentration of vegan businesses and is there a specific history of vegetarianism and veganism in vancouver and if so what is it yeah um, i'm happy to get into that so uh, in my research of those neighborhoods i found that vegan and vegetarianism or the 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 philosophy of veganism, at the very least, was very prevalent in the development of those neighborhoods, particularly in the 20th century. In Mount Pleasant, it was home to the counterculture movement of uh, Vancouver. And I mean, there were the counterculture movement of the 1940s through the 1970s were uh, present throughout the city, but it was really focused in there. There's a famous uh, stretch of four there's a street uh, in Vancouver called Fourth Avenue, and it runs right through Kitsilano. 
and that is home to a lot of uh, vegan and vegetarian businesses like the NOM. The NOM is vegetarian, so I admitted them for my um, project, but it is famous for at least fostering uh, that mindedness of like organic food being and growing food that doesn't harm people or planet uh, very much out of the green, like very much a response to the green revolution of the time, which was about, you know, industrializing the food process. And that was one business that didn't want to be a part of that kind of, the kind of development of that, of that era. So, um, and in addition to that, that's where a lot of anti-war press protesters uh, gathered from UBC and other places, also a lot of um, Americans as well, as they were avoiding the drafts, they, they'd come there and then they would find like-minded people and settle in Vancouver, not just because of the proximity, but because they found out like-minded community and support there as they were going there. So there was a lot of anti-war, uh, well, there were many anti-war-minded people congregating there, a lot of movements and, and uh, uh, efforts going on there related to that. And if you're anti-war, you're then kind of thinking about this, the, the food systems and the things, you know, that are going on, the other things that are going on in the world. And so that lent to, um, I'd say that lent to those people looking into developing a, a community that fostered that and went to kind of thinking more vegetarian just because if the food systems that are part of the industrial industrial war complex are, are supporting that then you're kind of want to go to the opposite end of that and so Kitsilano very much had that and was a very liberal minded uh, place for those efforts and as for Mount Pleasant that had a very I found that that had um, a long history of being an art community. And it started off as an industrial center for the city for many decades from the late 19th century into the 1920s. And then after that, um, it started burgeoning an art community. I, from what I can tell, it was just that the warehouses that were there kind of lent to good art spaces <laughs> and uh, low income at the time, hard to think of it as low income there, but um, low income let to easier living and so if you're an artist you know you can definitely set up shop there and do very well and uh i just found that a lot of liberally minded people akin to those who are in Kitsilano were also there and uh were also being were able to think about vegetarianism and also counterculture things as well so coming forward to today or at least the past couple of years You've, for your research and your studies, you've visited, you mentioned 12 different vegan rest, uh, businesses in this Vancouver area whose, I believe their specialties range from what I read on your website. They range from like health and beauty to baking, fine dining, even a cider tap house to education, food delivery services, and pet food. Further, you can you have been writing on these themes in your blog and for your graduate studies. And you've mentioned some of these common themes like inclusivity. But I was wondering if you can speak a little bit about what you found in your experiences and research. For instance, delve a little bit more into what these themes were that you observed across these relatively diverse businesses and if there were some important findings or considerations um, that you came across. Yeah, happy, happy to. So yeah, I, um, to kind of sum up, I 
heard back from and visited 12 Beacon businesses, six in Kitsilano and six in Mount Pleasant, which actually ended up being a good balance. And among those, you know, I was originally thinking, oh, I'm probably just going to get restaurants, but now I got a diverse um, amount of uh, industries that, that, were, that got back to me. It was great. So kind of go over that. Um, there were two restaurants, one food delivery service, one cafe, one pub, pub uh, or cidery is what it's called. So like a public house, one sauce maker, one cheese maker, two bakeries, one educational organization, one pet food maker, and one skincare beauty brand. So yeah, I heard back from 12 vegan businesses for this project, and uh, it ended up being six in Kitsilano and six in Mount Pleasant. Didn't intend it for it to happen, but it was nicely evenly divided. And uh, I was thinking it was mostly going to be restaurants at the beginning, but it ended up being uh, a diversity of, of different industries that they were in. So in Kitsilano, there's be, there was, is Be My Guest, which is a uh, food delivery service for vegan food from uh, a diverse range of chefs around the city and in the area. Uh, Folk Restaurant, which was fine vegan dining. Nutty, which uh, creates uh, nut-based coffee drinks. The Cider House, which is a cidery, and the first uh, cidery, as I understand, in Vancouver, is the Bay Lodge, and uh, all vegan. Uh, True Nosh, which makes uh, sauces, and Tintery Brows, which uh, makes eyebrow tints for a diverse range of skin types and skin tones. And in Mount Pleasant, uh, let's see, I visited Blue Heron, which is a vegan cheesemaker, Fairy Cakes, which was a, a bakery and a confection shop, um, Kind Cafe in Erie, which was a restaurant cafe uh, uh, business, Level 5 Bakery, which is a uh, bakery as well, hence the time name. Vancouver Humane Society, which uh, not just works with animal rights, but also uh, provides educational resources for those enter entering vegetarianism or looking into plant-based options for their daily life. And Vivas Pet Foods, which is a pet food maker, um, particularly dog food, uh, that is uh, all vegan has all vegan recipes great i was wondering if you could drawing upon your experiences and your conversations with each of these businesses were there specific um challenges that came up or specific learnings that you could glean from what they had to share with you i'd be delighted so um in my conversations with them I detected really four major insights or common insights, you know, themes as well, uh, that they, that the VEs mentioned that I thought were worth noting. So the first one was that the vegan entrepreneurs or VEs, as I keep calling them, uh, they engage with veganism out of the perceived benefits of health and not just stewardship. As I mentioned before, I really thought each of them were, uh, was going to tell me like, oh yeah, I got into veganism or I entered into a vegan business because I wanted to do something for animal rights or I wanted to protest against uh, you know, the, the, how animals are treated in, in X, Y, and Z. And uh, interestingly enough, while that was very important and that was mentioned, the, the health was mentioned as, a, as the prime motivator for them going into veganism as a business plan. So for example, 
the co-founder of Viva's Pet Foods had uh, dogs in her childhood who uh, were malnourished and actually died prematurely. But she, so she, uh, uh, being a chemist herself, uh, looked into ways to develop recipes that would be more conducive to canine nutrition. And I have to admit, uh, while I was visiting uh, their booth, I have the all the dogs that were there that were trying out the samples were just chowing down on this stuff. Like they, it was clear that they really loved it too. It was just so happy to be able to converse about this and then also see all these happy dogs around me. It was great. And then um, the the founder of Fairy Cakes uh, created uh, non-allergenic recipes. So they weren't only vegan, but they were like cupcakes and cakes and um, madeleines and all these other great like treats that were that did not have any nuts or any allergens and there were also uh, vegan as well that uh, she felt that, you know, anyone could enjoy without having to worry about um, necessarily health or, um, or not worry about it affecting them badly. And uh, the founders of Be My Guest and True Nosh had family members who had diabetes and hypertension respectively, and they had determined that a vegan diet would help their cases in so their family members tried to pursue it. So yeah, all in all, for that to kind of recap, health was very much a prime motivator for them entering this space, not just for themselves, but for their, like family members and friends as well. And um, let's see. So there was another point that was actually very interesting and I kind of went into this with fairy cakes uh, just now. And it was that inclusivity was seen as a major uh, not just goal for these vegan entrepreneurs, but it, veganism lent to that. As So what that means is if you're trying to have an inclusive workspace or trying to create an inclusive product that caters to multiple genders, multiple um, ethnicities, etc., then uh, making it vegan actually made it very helpful and very, um, very easy to, to enter those spaces. So like I said, Fair Cakes... Um, by having a non-allergenic product that also happened to be vegan, it lent to anyone being able to enjoy these things. Um, I thought it was remarkable when they mentioned that you can go into there and get a cake and not have to worry about allergies or if anyone can eat it. It's just all available to anyone there. And uh, Be My Guest, which was the food delivery service, they sourced from a wide range of different types of chefs, uh, from indigenous cuisine to Italian, just all over, chefs from all over, um, from diverse backgrounds. And it was inclusive in the fact that those who wouldn't be able to access those foods normally could now access it from their own home. So if you just, uh, if you want to try uh, an indigenous dish, then you can uh, go online, look up that dish and uh, order it and come in. And it's not only vegan, but it's also something that you might not have tried before. And um, Cider House, I Find was also remarkable in that it wasn't just vegan, but it tried to have a new take on the bar scene. So typical bar scenes are very masculine, I would say, in, in general. They have, like, they're, they're dark, and they have um, just, like, the typical trappings of a, you know, cliche bar, <laughs> bar scene. But Cider House had a great premise in which they wanted to be inclusive as well as a fun bar scene. So uh, they achieved this by trying to give a sense of safety to women in all genders. And that included having very bright tones. So getting away from like the dark woods and, and blacks and like 
and browns of uh, typical bar trap and you try to really brighten the place, introduce like oranges and, and pinks and things like that. And they also had regular drag nights as well. Uh, so just, just to let anyone feel like they could just be welcomed into that space. And uh, Tintory Brows, as I mentioned too, was very inclusive in that. It also featured eyebrow tints for a wide range of skin tones. They're vegan and they were meant for anyone. So what are your skin tone? There was just a wide spectrum you could you can select from. So yeah, that was one of the most insightful things there is that we, we just don't really think about is like in pop culture, veganism is seen as uh, very limiting or it's like seen as, oh, only the elite white people can do it. But it was, I was finding in my research that no, that was not the mindset at all and not the clientele that was interested in it at all. It was, um, it actually is a philosophy that provides a framework to be more inclusive to uh, people from all types of walks of life. And that was wonderful to, to see. That's great to see. And thank you for sharing those specific examples with us. There was two main things that popped out to me when you were talking about what guided these businesses' mission statements and philosophies. One of them was first, what instigated them to go into their business? So it sounded like it wasn't necessarily specifically in relation to stewardship or ethical or environmental issues, but also health conditions, whether that's either personally or, or health conditions of those close to the individuals who are uh, starting these businesses really was a main driver in them becoming entrepreneurs and providing these services or goods to their communities. And then the other one is the inclusivity factor. So I want to first ask some questions about the reason behind the mission first. And this is, I have to give you credit for this because you were the one that identified um, this sociological phenomenon known as perspective transformation. So you called this reasoning for how they came about their mission, perspective transformation. And I was wondering if you could define that or speak a little bit about that. Yeah, happy to. So it's something I came across in my research. I was trying to find ways to explain like, okay, they're all, most of these, most of these vegan entrepreneurs not all of them are are going into uh, a vegan business because they perceived something which was a health basically health scare that either could happen or haven't happened yet or had happened in the past i should say and there i was just trying to think okay what what's what is that phenomenon what what would one call that what compels someone to enter that new mindset and i was just looking through um research and motivations and i like an advisor kind of direct me towards that and i was like okay where is it and then i stumbled upon uh, perspective transformation which was a phenomenon better yet it's a cognitive process in which an individual may consciously and decisively shift or change their conceived like paradigms that they had gained from early development so what that means is when we're all children we develop frameworks in which we expect and, and concepts and how we expect the world to function. So in the case, I think of a carnist cider that, that involves animal products, we think, okay, I live, I live and eat this way. I have meat and that's just the source of where I get my nutrition. And to do that, there has to be an animal involved. And that's then becomes a framework of not just how you get fed, but just what food is. And 
perspective transformation is the process in which um, usually when we have a dilemma, usually in this, when I say dilemma, it's usually like something that has to do with ethics or in health, like, like these entrepreneurs had in this case, those dilemmas may cause us to abandon the paradigms and the frameworks I just mentioned that we had structured for ourselves. So we have a health scare and we think, okay, what led to that health scare? So we might then think, okay, well, maybe this thing that I had learned isn't actually serving me anymore. Maybe it's not conducive to my health or well-being anymore or to that of others around me. Maybe, so therefore, maybe this has to be changed. Now, I should note that not everyone goes through this phenomenon, as we can see in almost our daily lives. But when it does happen, and those who are uh, cognitively present of something that's not working for them, that's generally the, the, the process in which they go through. So yeah, um, I have to give a shout out to my advisors for helping me find that concept <laughs> there. But once, I've, once I got that keyword, it was really intriguing to look into that. And it provided a explanation and a wonderful, simple way to explain why we enter vegan spaces or why we start to engage with the philosophy. It's because we usually go through something traumatic or we perceive something traumatic that isn't serving us anymore. And we then want to change it. I thought it was a great way to explain it. And the second concept that you mentioned was inclusivity. And that was something that seemed to guide a lot of these businesses, missions and values. And I was wondering if you could speak to that, because it sounds like a lot of businesses, they focus on a broader perspective. They don't necessarily indicate, yes, I'm a vegan business. It's going back to what you were talking about when you were approaching or speaking with your supervisors, that bringing up the word vegan or the as you've coined it, the dreaded V word um, is a thing. So can you speak a little bit towards this? Yeah, sure. Um, So that actually lends into the third point very well of what I was talking about, but I'll I'll kind of back up and talk about inclusivity and that leads into the other. The idea of going into veganism, like the, the vegan philosophy is not just being kind to like animals, but it's also just being kind to ourselves as humans, personally and interpersonally. And originally, I, I thought, and I think a lot of people have this concept too, is just that veganism is very much about just the holistic self and just taking care of yourself and your own health. But just talking to everyone, there was always a sense of thinking about others that was inherent in not just the mission statements of these businesses. Most people have this concept about veganism as being very insular and very much about the self and taking care of just the self. But I found it just in the mission statements and from what the VEs were telling me is that they were thinking so much about other people and thinking how, again, those paradigm shifts, how those things about business and non-vegan businesses, like what wasn't working for those could work in a more vegan setting. So many people think about veganism as being like this insular elitist institution in many ways, but in fact, it lends to wanting us to take care of others. That's what I got from not just the mission statements, but the uh, what, what the VEs were telling me. They had identified things in other businesses that were not being very kind or empathetic to a great number of people. So, and again, there's that paradigm shift. They're thinking, okay, well, if I'm vegan, I want to try to do the most amount of good for the most number of people. And with that mindset, what, why can't I make um, 
eyebrow tints for most number of people. Why can't I make cheese that everyone can ingest that, you know, regardless of if they can tolerate dairy or not. So I just found that that was just a lovely component uh, to to veganism that I feel like is overlooked, unfortunately, in a lot, uh, a lot of pop media. And I hope that in this project comes out and people hear that and just kind of think of veganism as more inclusive and not just exclusive. And so that brings me to a third insight that a lot of the VEs had, had uh, mentioned, and it was that of perceived discrimination in the vegan community. So this is where it gets a little more dour, but even in a city like Vancouver, which is uh, reputable for being very plant forward and vegan friendly, there still were instances of um, just some backlash. Um, I There was one vegan business, I, I won't name them out of respect to their wishes, but there was one where they got a very difficult to obtain certification showing uh, showcasing their veganism. And during my conversation, I was like, oh, that's great. Like, congratulations, that one is really hard to get. So, but, and, and I looked around, I was like, I don't see it anywhere. And they're like, oh, I don't put it up in the window. And I was like, wait, you, you spent all that time and money to get that certification and you don't put it up in the window? Yeah, it's because if I put it up, it's going to be taken down right away. And I was like, oh my, oh my gosh. So, so what was the point of doing it in the first place? I mean, that's great, you got it, but what was the point? It was like, well, it's really meant for you, for people like you. So other vegans in the community, if you know someone came in and they were really, really keen on finding uh, a vegan product, I could just point, let them know that I got the certification and then they feel better about it. And so for most customers, if they are not vegan and they're just happen to walk in here, they'll see that and they'll think, you know, they would think like, oh my gosh, this is an exclusionary space. I'm not vegan, but it's obviously just for vegans. And then they'll just leave. So there was that. And I actually do remember one instance, again, I'll, I'll not mention it, but there, I, while during my conversation, I saw two customers walk into a space, asked about the menu. And then uh, once I, what they were told, like, oh, like they heard the word vegan, they kind of just went, mm. and you know, they frowned <laughs> and then they just did an about face and walked out. And I just like, oh man, so this really is that. And uh, there were also instances where I heard from VEs saying that there had been some physical altercations in the past and uh, thankfully nothing too violent, but just that it got very abrasive. And um, uh, even some had uh, like relocation if that, if they really had to come to that. So I think what this indicates is not that people hate like, it's it's not that veganism is under threat, but it's just that there is what I what I perceived, what I saw, based on the literature and some other experts and other things. There is that there still is a lot of stigma around the word. Now I know the word stigma is a very loaded term, and I'm not trying to uh, take away from anyone else's experience who's going through stigma, like other groups, for example. But I just think that is the um, most apt term to describe what is being encountered. But I do think uh, that it is worth exploring to see if this really is stigma and if, if um, just how veganism and stigma are experienced in those spaces as well. So it was a very fascinating thing that I think just merits a lot more research going into it. But I'm hoping as veganism becomes more prevalent that it is going to be embraced more and that that, that um, misconception starts to go away from, from non-vegan. And that leads me to the fourth and I think one of the most major 
insights that I was told about from the VEs, which was cost of living going up and becoming unsustainable. All the VEs reported that cost of goods and living and just doing business in general was a hardship, all of them. And they said that ingredients, shipping rates and rent all were just going up in their neighborhoods. Uh, I did some further research and I found that just rent in city of Vancouver between 2021 and 2022 went up by 23%. And in Mount Pleasant in particular, it increased by 14% in that same time frame. I couldn't ask the VEs like what their rent situation was and I didn't want to go into their specifics, but just by knowing that the cost of rent in those neighborhoods was going up, that just that led me to kind of imagine like, oh gosh, it's got, if rent's going up in that way, it must be really hard for them too. So um, as mentioned before, some even considered relocation as a safe option and those that were remote, so who had like online services, reported that being online was easier, but still the cost of goods and operations were really still expensive. And this is really concerning too, because this just creates a barrier to entry for new VBs that want to enter the space. And this pushes existent ones out. Um, and I'm even sorry to say that because of rising costs, um, those like fairy cakes and kind cafe closed within the past year. So it's definitely being strained. And from what I've seen, it's it's not a lack of interest that's making them close. Like customers are still growing and wanting to try out these products. It's just um, cities like Vancouver are just becoming too costly to operate in. You know, even to those who are skeptical and be like, oh, it's because of vegan businesses, they can't sustain themselves. Like, no, no, this this is happening to everyone, obviously. Because if rent goes up for a vegan business, it's not just happening to them, it's happening to businesses all around. So I would say if uh, I were to have any call of action, it's that um, I hope that people with this revelation, um, specifically those who can vote, uh, really feel galvanized to address this issue through elections and through looking up their municipal policies and uh, changing that so that we can have cities that are more sustainable and that can foster entrepreneurship. Ben, thank you so much for sharing your research and observations and recommendations. I was wondering if you could tell our listeners, where can they find out more about you and your work? Delighted. Thanks. So uh, they can reach me on my socials, on Instagram and um, Facebook in particular, at It's Brian Ben uh, is the handle. That's I-T-S without the apostrophe. So just It's Brian Ben and Brie is spelled B-R-E-E. And uh, you can also find us at itsbreeandben.com. And that's our website where we post all of our aforementioned articles and essays and travel guides. And we have a lot more in store coming this summer. We have a new guide for Victoria, BC coming out this summer. And we also hope to have some other destinations lined up and other essays looking at other ways to look at veganism in uh, coming up in essays later on in the year. I'm really excited about that. I'm also working with some wonderful organizations that are looking into sustainability and food policy in municipal areas. And I really encourage listeners, if they're interested in those things, to look into them as well. Uh, first is responsiblefoodpolicy.ca, which is the, the website for Canadians for responsible food policy. The next one is EarthSave Canada, which can be found at earthsave.ca and plantbasedcitiesmovement.org.
Thank you very much for sharing that. And Ben, thank you so much for sharing your time and your insights with Plant-Based Canada today. It's really appreciated. Um, if you would like, would you like to share final thoughts that you would like listeners to leave this episode with? Sure. Well, I first want to just say thank you, not only to you, Steph, I've just loved the podcast and love your work you're doing here. And I look forward to all the episodes. So thank you for your great work there and you and your team that are doing. Second, um, I also just want to thank the, all of the vegan businesses and the entrepreneurs that I just mentioned there uh, in this project. Um, they, they taught me so much, and I know that what they do is, on a daily basis is extremely difficult. Not for being vegan, but just having a small business, <laughs> and, and that's never an easy thing to do in any, any economic climate. If anything, I, just, I think they provided me the greatest lesson that uh, one can get just in the vegan journey, which is that really the solution to any problem that we encounter really starts with empathy empathy for ourselves and empathy to others around us. And if uh, my project teaches anyone anything, and I, I hope it's that and the death comes through. So I just want to say thanks again to them, to you, Steph, and um, everyone just be kind to each other and enjoy. This episode was hosted by myself, Stephanie Nishi, and Clint Stamatovich is our audio engineer. This podcast featured royalty-free music from freesound.com. A very special thanks to our guest, Ben Haggerty, for speaking with us and sharing his insights. And of course, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting the show. You can do this by clicking on the link at the bottom of the show notes. The Plant-Based Canada podcast is an initiative of the group Plant-Based Canada which aims to educate health professionals and the public on the evidence behind plant-based whole food nutrition for individual and planetary health. To learn more about the show, visit our website at www.plantbasedcanada.org and stay up to date by following us on Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook at plantbasedcanada.org. Until next time! <laughs>